Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to church. So glad that you've chosen to spend your evening with us. So great to see you. It's kind of like, you know, nearly the beginning of the year. Hey, so good to see you. Um, we are indeed three, part three, conversation number three of our series, Bold New World. And we've been talking about what it is like to head out into a new direction, set a new direction for a new year or a new direction for maybe a new venture like Mark was talking about or a new direction for whatever it might be, but not quite knowing what's going to be ahead of us, right? Because we can't predict the future. Uh, and there's many, been many times in history when we haven't been able to predict the future, but we are living in one of them, right? We don't know. You can sort of set goals, but you might not be able to, you know, get there. So we've been having a conversation about how God doesn't promise us control, but he does give us something to hold on to. And last week, uh, last week's conversation was about what we can control, and that is ourselves. So if you haven't had a listen to the podcast from last week yet, I really encourage you to jump on the Suncoast Church podcast and catch up. But tonight, tonight we're going to have a conversation about the tension around when you want something, but you can't predict the outcomes. You can't predict what it's going to look like. So for example, you know, when we used to travel, right? <laughs> when, you, when, you sit, when you decide to go somewhere, um, but you can't predict the weather. Just yesterday, we had these plans to go and have a picnic. And what happened yesterday afternoon, there was a storm. And so, you know, ruined our plans. You know, so you can, you can plan, but you can't always see what's going to happen ahead of you. Even when you have a day off, right? You were just, oh, on my day off, I'm going to... And you get this picture in your head of how you, the blissful day off, whatever that might look like for you. And then by the time you get through all your jobs, you're like, oh my goodness, it's 4.30. You know, you, know, you get that, that feeling. Or, or you're like, I really just want to curl up on a rainy day and read a book. And then it's sunny and you feel conflicted, like you're wasting a good day. I don't know, maybe it's just me. Uh, but, you know, so we can, we can what, that tension when we want something, but we can't control the outcomes. Often this happens in the workplace, you know. We want something, we're like, I hate my job, I need to get a better one, I need to get a new one. And so you get the extra license or you get the extra training that you need and you know, you upskill and then you end up in the new job and you go, oh, there's boring parts of this one too, you know, like, you know, there's boring parts of every job. Yes. My husband would say, that's why it's called work. Anyway. So, you know, like there's, there are boring parts of every job. And some, for some of you, you could just go home. That's it. That's, that's your take home message for tonight. You know, you're ready. Um, you know, there's so many things. And then uh, for others of you, you might be like, oh, there's annoying people in this workplace is like there was in the last one. Yes. You know, yeah. And I'm here too, that I'm the common denominator anyway. You know, that, that's just a thing, isn't it? Um, you know, sometimes it's like you really want to, you really want to hope that, you know, get the attention of that guy or get the attention of that girl. You're really hoping for a relationship, you know, something that's a, probably, you know, a little bit meaningful, a little bit purposeful. Uh, and then you get into a relationship and you're like, oh, I can't actually control this person. I, can, I actually have to celebrate who they are and all their strengths and their weaknesses and they come, this person comes with a package and I don't know if you've ever seen but a relationship where somebody's trying to control the other person is incredibly suffocating. It goes very sour and very toxic very quickly. So, you know, we get into a relationship and then we realise there's unintended or unforeseen outcomes even in relationships. It's, you, maybe, maybe your parents are trying to get you into a relationship, you know. Maybe you're like, will you hurry up and find... 
You know, will you? I don't know if anyone's living with that tension. But, but let me warn you, once you do find somebody, they're going to have opinions about that person too. So, you know, it's, it's going to be like, it's never going to be, you know. What we want, we all want stuff, don't we? We all have hopes. We all have dreams. We all have desires. It could be as simple as I just want a day off. I just want some space. Or it could be as complicated as I really would love to have a relationship one day. You know, we all want things. Uh, but we can't control the outcomes. I think the classic example is children. You know, lots of people want to have children. They forget that that involves parenting. You know, like it's not just have a child. You know, oh, I've got the house and the car and the dog. And then comes, you know, you know the kids. And you're like, wow, that's actually a lifelong journey. That's actually a lifelong commitment of, you know, investing uh, and, and parenting. And so we, there's so many things. It's the tension where we want something but we don't always, we can't always control the outcomes. We can't control the outcomes because we're not God, but also life is sometimes just that complicated. We've been having a conversation about how we can't control everything, but how God gives us something to look, to hold on to and to look toward. And when we've been talking about this in the last two weeks, we've been talking about Abraham. Abraham is one of the fathers of the faith. He's actually the father of three faiths. He, from his, uh, from his, his descendants uh, has come the Arabic people, the Arabic nations, and, and Islam, uh, the Jewish people, and, and Judaism, and then from that, Christianity. And so three, three faiths claim him as the father of their faith. Abraham was a patriarch, he, an, an ancient man from an ancient time, and he had a sense that God was saying to him, him, I want you to get out from your, the current, the culture that he was living in, leave your father's house, leave what you know, leave what's familiar, and head into a land that was completely unknown. And, and he did this. He actually did this, which was uh, a bold, it really was a bold new world for him. It was a bold step. He, he got up, he packed up his, uh, his, his wife. He was married. His name was Abraham. He was married to a lady called Sarah. And his, his herds, his flocks, his sheep, his goats, his caravans, they did not have lovely engines and, you know, bathrooms and not caravans like we're thinking of. Caravans as in camels, you know, as in let's take the, the servants, his entourage of servants. He was a wealthy man and go to a place that he had never known never seen, didn't know what it was going to look like. There was no Google Maps, there was no Google Earth, and there was no really funky um, travel bloggers and YouTubers to help him out, to show him what it might look like on a really great day. So, you know, so he was, he was going somewhere where he didn't know. And then thousands of years later, after, around, just after the time of Jesus, the first century Christians talked about him because they were in a bold new world too. They were following the teachings of Jesus, which was revolutionary. And, uh, you know, it was, it, for some people, it was like sacrilege. You know, it was, they, were, they were doing the wrong thing, according to the religious people. They were in a bold new world of following the teachings of a man who walked as a commoner, who, who, get, who died and then rose again. And many of them were eyewitnesses to his resurrection. They wrote about it. And, and here they are in an incredibly religious society, years, thousands of years after Abraham. At the same time, it was also very pagan, and, and it was a divided society, very, you know, male and female, ethnic background, class, gender, race, it all mattered. And, and here they are following Jesus in their bold new world, and they're reminding themselves of Abraham and how Abraham went out to a land that he didn't know. 
and they're encouraging themselves about following Jesus in the same way that Abraham followed God. And Abraham was significant because it was through his bloodline that Jesus came. And they knew that. And there's a, a letter that we have been left from the first century Christians from Hebrews. It's a letter written to the Hebrew church, the church in Jerusalem. And they are reminding themselves about this guy called Abraham. So let's have a look here. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By Abraham, when, um, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And let's just skip forward a couple of verses. And so from this one man... And he as good as dead. And the reason that the writer wrote this is because he was so old by the time that he had children. He, d- he didn't have children for a very long time. Uh, and he was so old by the time that he had children that everyone's like, I don't think he can have children anymore. You know, and that, so he as good as dead meant he's infertile because he was so old. Anyway, you should read the Bible. It's all in there. Um, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And, you know, one of the promises that God gave to Abraham when he said, I want you to go out, I want you to go to this new land, was that I will make nations from you. And through you, and this is a guy who, whose wife wasn't falling pregnant, you know, and in, ancient, in an ancient society, that was a really big deal. It was a shame issue, you know, a, a factor of shame and, and a factor of, of great concern and anxiety for him in a way because who was he going to leave his wealth to? You know, and so he's tr- he started, to be honest, he started to look amongst his servants, you know, who am I going to leave my, my heritage to? And so it was, it was a really big deal that God said to Abraham that I will, g- I will make nations out of you. And then he said this, and through all, through you, all the nations of the earth, so he was talking about us, would be blessed. And so there, here we have this guy, and then thousands of years later, the early church is talking about this guy. And so we have been talking about this in the last couple of weeks, and we've been talking about how God doesn't give us control. God didn't tell Abraham exactly what was going to happen and how it was going to happen, but he does give us vision. He gave Abraham a vision that he would have descendants greater than the number of the stars in the sky and the beach, sand on the beach. You know, that, that's the vision that he gave us, uh, that he gave Abraham, and he gave him something to hold, a, to hold on to. But you know what? To realize that, Abraham actually had to get up and walk. He had to leave what was familiar. He had to leave his culture and he had, to leave his, he had to leave his religions and he had to get up and he had to go to a new place. He had to get up and walk. Does anybody know anybody, or maybe it's been you, or, you know, who's ever had like a major surgery, you know, like the kind of ones where they take, put your leg over here and they put a new hip in? You know, has anyone ever had a hip replacement or a knee, repl- knee reconstruction or a knee replacement? Anyone ever? Yeah, how, there's, yeah, there's some hands going up around here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do they do to you in the hospital the very next day? You're lying there. You've been dismembered the day before. And then, and then you, they've just put you back together. They, and they come in. And what does the physio say to you? Okay, time to get up and walk. I, I mean, if it was me, I'd be like... I, I just don't think I've got over this yet. You know, like, just give me a little bit of time. No, no, but what do they want you to do? They want you to get up and walk straight away. 
this year, Beth, our daughter, uh, last year, 2020, oh, there's so many great things that happened in 2020. She, she dislocated her patella. Uh, it was significant. Uh, I, I met, I wasn't there when it happened, but I arrived because the ambulance was involved and then I met her at the hospital, you know, like it was really significant. And part of the rehabilitation process, and it's, it was a long, it's a, you know, it's a tricky injury and, um, and it, you know, it was a long rehabilitation process, but part of it was exercise, was actually using it. And we see both from Abraham's example and from what life teaches us is that often the healing is in the movement. Often the progress is in the movement. And we we don't always know what it's going to look like. You know, if you've never had a hip replacement or a knee replacement or, a you know, a knee, many of you have had ACL, MCL, you know, issues. If you've never actually walked it, you don't know if you're going to heal. You know, there's always that little bit of doubt in the back of your head. Or what if, what if my knee doesn't heal? You know, but you've got to trust the process, haven't you? You've got to lean in and trust the process. And I'm sure Abraham, we know, we know that many times Abraham failed in his faith and he, he didn't always trust God because it was a long journey for him. But we, what we do know is that there is, sometimes you've just got to keep walking. And maybe you've been through a crisis or maybe you've been through a heartbreaking, dry period of your life. Maybe you've been to hell and back in different seasons of your life. And many people that have, many people who have stories like this, they say things like, you've just got to keep walking. You've just got to keep going. And so what we learn from Abraham and his example is how we walk matters. How we walk actually matters. And there's so many cliches around walking. I don't know if you've noticed, you know, you've got to walk the talk. You know, in other words, don't just be an armchair commentator about everybody else's life and all the things they should be doing. You put it into practice as well, you know. A little bit like me on the beach. I'm really great at having opinions about surfers because I have a few in my family. But I don't know about you, unless you've actually ever gone and caught a wave, it's a completely different perspective than the one on the beach. You know, the, the perspective on the, from the beach is pretty nice. It's like this nice blue wave and there's somebody on it. And you go, oh, what he should do. Until you're actually on the wave and it's you and you're right there and you know that part of riding a wave is getting dumped. God bless you for loving that, you know, if you're, if you're a surfer in here. You know, like it's, it, you can have opinions, but you actually have to put it into practice. Uh, you know, another one about walking, another cliched saying, common, is that, you know, uh, it, you, you don't know a man or a woman until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Thank you very much, Atticus Finch, for leaving that, you know, a little bit of wisdom um, with us. Unless you've walked a mile in somebody else's shoes. And there's cliches around walking. Why? Because it's kind of like a repeatable truth, isn't it? Like that society that people have grabbed onto. Here's another one. Uh, It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. See, you know it. You know it. Uh, and And how we walk really matters. As a matter of fact, how we walk in different seasons of our life really, really matters. We can go to the next slide here. If you're a young person here tonight, if you're a young adult, how you walk in your, at the beginning of your adulthood really, really matters because it does set you up. You will either you will take the decisions that you make at the beginning of your adulthood into later, into later seasons of your life. And, um, and this, is, this is something that Daniel and I often talk to young people about. It's, it's a tension because as soon as you're 18, all of a sudden there's lots of things you're allowed to do. Um, that you weren't allowed to do before. 
and society has expectations of you and there's pressures on you to, you know, to do certain things. And so we often talk to young people and what we find is often, particularly Christian young people, if they've grown up in, a, in an area, you know, in a Christian environment, they have a conscience about things uh, that maybe if you don't have a faith, you don't have a conscience about. Um, and I'll explain a little bit about that in a minute. Um, but, you know, so, so often we talk to Christian young people and they've got a list of don'ts. You know, like, I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do that, and I'm not going to do that. And our encouragement to them is, you know, people that are, you know, probably a little, you know, a couple of decades on, <laughs> is that, you know, is, is don't have, not, not to not have standards, but instead of getting a list of don'ts, what you're not going to do in your life, how about you get a vision for who you're going to be? for what you're going to do and what you want to achieve. And that's not just for the extroverts and the goal setters in the room. That's for the introverts as well. That's for the people who want to live with peace. That's for anybody who wants to live with a sense of confidence about who they are. And anyone who wants to invite peace around their life and anyone who wants to have credibility so that when they say something, their word is their word and people take them seriously, you know. People don't just laugh you laugh you off because you have been, you know, discreditable, creditable, is that a word? Uncredit, in, you know, in an area of your life. And so what you want to do is you want to get a, a vision for who you want to be. You know, I want to be this kind of a person. I want to have this kind of sense of peace around my life. I want to have this kind of a, you know, a, a vision for my future. I want, you know, and, I, and what sort of, not, not, all, not a list of all the things you want to do. Hear me clearly. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Because things you do will change from season to season. But who do you want to be? And often this is a tension for young people, particularly Christian young people, because they grow up in environments where we talk about things like a Christian sexual ethic. You know, when we talk about um, keeping sex for marriage. And, and they're like, do you really? Like, how, where's the line really? And is this kind of sex really sex? And, you know, there's like all these things that are... And so what we do is we try and find the line that we shouldn't cross. And then we keep moving it, um, you know, when, when, as it suits us. And then we get a guilt complex if we do, you know, because we do have an ethic. Um, that, and, and if you're not a Christian here tonight, you're probably like, yeah, well, that's the trouble with you guys. You worry about too much of this stuff. You know, and, but, but the reason that we do, the reason that we do have um, a, a Christian sexual ethics around, you know, sex being for marriage and sex being for, you know, for husband and wife is, is because it can be really damaging and we know it. It's because taken outside, it can be hurtful. And in, but instead of trying to, like, just creating, like, oh, well, I'm not going to do this, but I will do that. You know, I won't do this kind of sex, but I will have, you know, I will go this. You know, and, and it's, just, it's, it's a mess. And there's no, it's never any really clear line on that. My question is to you is who do you want to be? And how do you want to speak? And what, how do you want to hold yourself? And what kind of presence do you want to have about your life? And how, what kind of peace do you want to have in your home? Who do you want to be? And then those decisions will follow later. Then whether or not you take your clothes off or not and how much alcohol you drink or not will, will follow the vision of what you want to do with your life rather than kind of trying to backtrack and go the, the other way because that's, that's just going to create issues for you and for people around you. How we walk really matters. How we walk in... Because, this is why, because we will take our decisions and our regrets into future seasons. And most of us have taken both into, into our future seasons. Most of us have taken the decisions that we've made in our youth and the regrets that we have and, and pulled them through. 
into the, into, into the future seasons of our life. And, and as a person who's a little bit older, my heart for younger people is take as few regrets as possible. It's almost impossible not to take any. Like, don't be so, don't be, you know, don't create unrealistic um, expectations for your life. But, but take, you know, how we walk matters. Because then we get to the next season of our life and whatever that might be, it might look like a family, it might look like a career if you stay single. But then if we can go to the next slide there, um, but it'll be a building and productive. It should be a building and productive season of your life. You know, when you you, you, might, you might put your roots down, maybe geographically, maybe not. Everyone's got a different journey. Everybody's seasons look different and everybody's purposes and calls are different. Um, but what, what we do know is that the way you walk in your previous seasons will come through and will affect how you walk. And this is why, because the ethics and the moral choices that you make in your youth will affect, and, and I'm saying this, if, if, and there's adults in the room that would that would say, I wish somebody told me, you know, I wish that, you know, we could, that somebody would have told me and stopped me, you know, and so that's my heart tonight for you, is that, you know, that what we do, and we take that into our parenting, and it's almost, um, it's, it's almost inescapable, you know, that we, that we, that we pull, sometimes we pull our regrets and then you get overbearing parents who are scared that their kids, are, do you know what I mean? Like there's, it just affects a lot of things. So how we walk matters because when we get to our twilight years, our senior years, I don't know about you, but I want to be, let's go to the next slide. I want to be the most encouraging, championing old lady. Oh no, the next slide, not that one. Um, on the planet, you know, I want people to, I want people to come by and just be like, I want to hang out with her. She might be 90, but I feel like a million dollars, you know, every time I hang out with her, uh, you know, because you want to, you want to pull through. And now there is, there's the, the caveat for this conversation right now, because it's really, this is just me interpreting things at the minute. We're going to get to the scripture in the minute, I promise. Um, the, the, the disclaimer right here is that this is not always guaranteed because life throws curveballs. Curve you know, a smooth path is not guaranteed. Uh, and, and, and our hearts break and have been broken, all of us, um, by things that happen to us. And some of them are so far out of our control. And a lot of life is not very fair. Um, but what we do know is that... We, that how we walk matters. And so let's have a look tonight at, um, at a, an example from the scripture where Paul wrote to the early church. Uh, Paul was one of the apostles of the early church in the first century after the time of Jesus. And he talked about how people walk. And one of the things he said was to work, walk worthy of the call of God that is in your life. Now, you might not be buying into the whole, you know, idea that there is a call of God on your life, that God has a purpose for you. You might not be buying into the idea that God has a plan for your life. Um, but uh, even if, even if you know, that's, you don't, no, I'm not quite sure about this whole Christian thing. You could frame this whole idea that Paul has here when he talks to the Ephesian church and he says, I urge you to live a life that is worthy of the calling that you have received. If you're, if you're not a Christian and you're not quite sure about, you know, having a call of God on your life, as a matter of fact, when Paul wrote this, he kind of had, this is chapter four, he kind of spends chapters one, two, and three convincing the believers in Jesus that they did have a call. You know, so, so there's, there is a tension there. But you could frame this in, in why don't you walk worthy of your potential? Why don't you walk worthy of who you're created to be? Why don't you walk worthy of the best version of you? 
Another way to say it is don't undercut yourself, you know. Don't, don't sabotage your own potential. And so Paul encourages um, the early church and he writes letters. He was one of the church leaders and he wrote letters to many churches around the Mediterranean rim. And he writes here to Ephesians, but I've also got the Colossians reference there as well because he wrote to the church in Colossus as well. And he said, walk worthy of your call. Um, and here he says, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And then he explains it. And he says, I want you to be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love and make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, be peacemakers, get along with one another. Now, this list of things, humble, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, I'm about to unpack and give a little quick, quick summary of, um, and then we'll be done. Um, but they're not, they're not really bougie or very sexy. To be honest, you know, it, it's not like, oh yeah, what's your goal in life? Oh, to be humble and gentle. You know, it's, it's kind of like, if it was me making a list of what things, you know, things that were going to be great for walking worthy of your potential, I wouldn't have come up with this list. But there's a reason that, that this list is so significant because nobody likes a proud, arrogant, you know, rough, pig-headed, into themselves kind of a person. There's nothing more putting off, is there, than somebody who's just completely all about themselves. Why? Because it's annoying for a start, but also it completely undercuts their own credibility, doesn't it? You don't want to listen to what they've got to say. They self-sabotage. And so there is actually a lot of wisdom in this little list here. So let's have a quick look at this. And because I'm just going to do a quick summary of these four things of humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love... Um, I've actually created notes in case for those of you who want to go a little bit deeper and look into it more, and they're at the back in the Connect, connect Lounge if you want that later. Um, but, okay, so humility. Be completely humble, he says. Humility. This is like countercultural uh, because what we see in the life of Jesus is that he went from heaven to earth, that he actually descended. And we live in a culture that is all about the upward ascent. Actually, all cultures, all human cultures are all about the upward ascent. Um, Western and Eastern cultures alike, they just have different ascents. You know, in some Eastern cultures, it's all about self-actualization or self-realization or um, working your way up to be the oldest and be elders in the community. Or um, in, in Western culture, it can be about the prosperity ladder or the organizational, you know, climbing the organizational hierarchy or the, the travel blogging uh, experience uh, resume or, you know, whatever it might be, everybody has their upward ascent. And what's an upward ascent for you might not be the same for me, but everybody wants to rise. And yet Jesus taught the opposite. He, he actually said, if you want to find your life, you need to lose it. And you know what he did? He lived this. He lived this, this and this is a whole theology in Christendom. We could do a whole series about something, you know, about the descension of Christ. What he did is he came from heaven to earth. He brought his deity into humanity. He left his royal throne in heaven and came and walked as a common man amongst the people. He got his feet dirty and his hands dirty like everybody else. He, he was a ruler and he came as his servant and he died as a criminal. And through that 
descension, through that service, through that giving of himself, through that, you know, from, from heaven to earth act of humility, he changed the course of history. He had the biggest impact on history of any single human being ever. He changed the course of history. And there is such a power in terms of walking worthy of the potential in your life and walking worthy of, of, of your call and also of trying to head in a direction or aiming for something but not being able to control the outcomes. There is such a power and that's almost, you know, an oxymoron. It's almost a, contra- you know, some sort of, um, you know, contrast there in terms of humility and power. It takes incredible courage to be humble. It takes incredible courage to, to, to say sorry. It takes incredible you know, courage to, to, be, to serve, particularly if it's not your natural position. And so what we are left with then is a question of how can I, how can we humble ourselves and leverage our resources to serve one another? How can we do this? How can I walk worthy of my potential, walk worthy of the call of God in my life through giving of myself, through serving and using what I have for somebody else's advantage rather than just for my own? How can I, um, even when I can't control the outcomes, serve that person? Even when I can't, and maybe you're in a relationship at the minute and it's, it's, there's this tension and it's a struggle. And maybe what you need to start to do, and, and, I'm, and I say this in, in uh, submit this to you, is maybe you need to start to serve the need, serve the person, serve the need, just love them through it. Uh, and that's easier said than done. None of this is easy. I told you I wouldn't make this list myself. Make things that are much more achievable, you know. Humility is not easily achieved, uh, but it is so incredibly powerful and it creates it it demands so much courage the next one that that Paul wrote about when he said live a life worthy of your potential live a life walk worthy of your call is he talked about gentleness when's the last time you heard somebody talk about gentleness oh you know what I aim to be like I aim to be gentle you know now some people do some people love it but it's just not very common it's just not the everyday. You know, people aim to be successful and people aim to be whatever it might be. But gentleness, you know. But what we find when we read across the New Testament, and that's why I've created notes tonight because, you know, I'm just giving you a summary right now. When we read across, gentleness is a posture for difficult issues. Gentleness turns up when it comes to the need for somebody to be restored when they've got to the end and they've shipwrecked or they've train wrecked or, you know, whatever it might be, and they're in a situation that is seemingly impossible. And you might know what that feels like. Maybe you've been in a situation where you're like, if I fixed this, you know, because we often come up with solutions, don't we, you know, to difficulty. If I fix this, I actually don't know if what my ideas would work and what the outcomes would be. Have you ever been in a situation that, that's that complicated? That that's, you know, and, and what we read from the scripture, and Paul writes, again, he writes to two different churches, one in Corinth and one in Galatia. And he says to the, the people in Corinthians, he said, to the Corinthian church, he says, what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod and discipline? Or shall I come to you in love and with a gentle spirit? 
Gentleness is a posture for these difficult issues. You know, why? Because it goes together with humility. It requires listening. It requires, it requires sitting down and being with and hearing somebody's story and understanding where they've, where they've come from. When he wrote to the Galatian church, he said, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, if they've ended up in a situation that they can't get themselves out of, maybe there's like consequences that they're going to live with for a while. <laughs> You know, because God forgives, but there's, sometimes there's still consequences we've got to live with, right? When you end up in this situation, you who live by the Spirit, and he says, you who are spiritually mature, restore that person gently. You know, gentleness takes incredible strength. And again, that sounds like a contrast and it sounds like a paradox. But gentleness takes incredible strength because it's much easier to fly off the handle. I told you, you know, no, 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 no. Anybody can have a rant. Anybody. No, that's, there's no skill in having a rant and speaking your mind. And it's only in television shows that it actually resolves anything. Like, you know, have you ever seen in television, they're like, well, da 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 And then the next person's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah. And all of a sudden they see each other's point of view. That is not real life. <laughs> have you ever tried it? You try, you try yelling at somebody and see what they do. They'll probably yell back at you and not want to listen. Yeah. It's just not real life. And so it takes incredible strength to be gentle with people, to, to receive restoration. It's really hard. Um, research that came out of Harvard University, they did a really big study into leadership traits. Uh, what were the top leadership traits of effective leaders? And they did it across many, many cultures. Uh, so it's not just an American study for American culture. Uh, they you know, went into many different Eastern and Western cultures, many different countries. And they asked employees, what were the top traits of effective leaders? Now, these are not just like the nice guys that do everything nice for the employee that don't have any backbone and you know, run, the com- run the company into financial ruin. Not those ones. And not the dictators. Not they're highly effective. They get results but you know there's casualties along the way so not those ones the guys in the middle the guys that are effective that manage to bring the people with them and get productivity and you know what the two top traits were around the world they were able to you know sift all the the responses from the participants in the research there was two top things number one warmth highly effective leaders are warm they care they're kind, they're compassionate, and they're strong. Number two, they're strong. And they call this the smiling ox paradox because an ox is incredibly strong. And if you put a smile on his face, he might be prettier than normal, you know. A pretty ugly animal, aren't they, really, you know. So the smiling ox paradox, and it takes incredible fortitude and incredible character to be a warm but strong leader. This might be... Uh, the case in your own life as well. Let's make it personal. How gentle are you with yourself? Are you rough on yourself? You know, the, the thoughts that you feed your mind, the thoughts that you, um, you entertain, the insecurities or the inadequacies or the comparison. Are you rough on, on yourself? Are you, I, had a, I had a supervisor uh, when I was doing research that would just would say to me often, and I'll tell you about him in a little minute, but he would say to me, Alison, you girls, you're so hard on yourselves, you know. You're doing great. <laughs> and he, he would speak to me encouragingly 
reminding me of the potential in my life. And I'll tell you about him in a minute, but, you know, so how, how gentle are you on yourself? What are you watching? What are you viewing? Are you consuming content that freaks you out, that scares you? What, and my question to you is, why are you doing that and expecting a good outcome? See, um, and, and again, we've just got to be so careful with how we, how we feed our bodies, how we feed our minds, how we feed our relationships. If you're consuming content that makes you feel inadequate and scared, then stop consuming that stuff. Find new things to consume. Find things that are encouraging and, and that remind you about the good things that God has for you and, that, and remind you that, you know, that you have potential. And that there is a plan and a purpose for your life. Don't be rough on yourself. Don't be rough. In, you know, feeding yourself bad stuff, thinking thoughts, negative automatic thoughts, and not being able to pull yourself out. And if you are in a situation where you are ruminating on negative automatic thoughts and you can't pull yourself out, then please do go get professional help. That is what the village is for. Go see a good counsellor, a good psychologist to help you interrupt that and pull yourself out. That is what the village is for. We were not meant to do any of this on our own. So gentleness, hey? Gentleness, a posture for the difficult topics and the difficult issues. The other thing that Paul writes about when he talks about walking worthy of your call. And the other thing that I would encourage you to pursue in terms of, you know, wanting something but not being able to control all the outcomes is this idea of patience. You know, how long is, every, is long enough? What I want is for everyone to give me time, but I wish they'd all hurry up. You know, it's, we're, we, we, con, we contradict ourselves, don't we? We're often walking contradictions when it comes to patience. So how do we, how can we be patient with people around us and even with ourselves in the healing process? Even in ourselves when we need to rehabilitate, when we need to, to get our lives from one direction and headed in another. How can we do this? Paul, when he was writing, I know I'm talking about this guy a lot tonight, but he wrote like a lot of the New Testament. And so that's why I'm talking about him a lot. But he wrote to the church in Galatia and he said to the Galatian church, don't become weary in doing good for in due season you will reap if you don't lose heart. And so my encouragement to you tonight in terms of, you know, not being able to control all the outcomes, even though you want something, and being able to walk worthy of the call of God in your life and walk worthy of your potential, is don't give up, don't lose heart when it comes to the realization of potential over time. And this is, this is so real for a lot of parents because they see potential in their kids and sometimes their encouragement doesn't sound like encouragement, you know, and, and maybe you've been the kid in that situation. You know, you know mum and dad want the best, but you just feel like they're criticising you all the time. It's because a parent's heart breaks when they see their kids making decisions that sabotage potential. And it's personal for a parent. So, you know, but I, but I also understand that sometimes it can be suffocating for a young person. 
So that it's a very real tension there. But parents, if you've got a young person in your life and, and you're waiting, <laughs> you're waiting for the potential that you see in them. And, and, you know, we can't control who our kids are. We can't control who, what their hobbies are and what their likes are and, you know, their personality. We can't, we didn't get to choose any of that. That's why I, you know, gave a bit of a dig before, you know, people want to have kids, but they forget they need to parent. You know, parenting is about bringing the potential out of this, who started out as a stranger in your family. You didn't know who the kid was. And then, you know, you, you discover who they are. And, and it's a journey of sometimes having to put your own, your own inhibitions and your own fears aside as the adult in the relationship and calling out the potential in the young person in a way that they'll hear it in a way that they know that you care. And sometimes that is a very, very long journey and it doesn't always happen by the time they reach a magical age of 18 or 20 or 25 or 30, okay? It's, it can be a really long journey. And, and, and kids, if, if you do have a parent and you feel like they're nagging and they're, maybe they see more in you than you see in yourself. And I know it's not nice to live nagging and I know you've, sometimes you're like, just shut up. I know that's how you feel sometimes, but maybe they're seeing more in you than you can see in yourself. Be potential. Don't lose heart. And young people, don't lose heart in your own potential just because you stuff up, just because you make a mistake. We've all made them. Oh my goodness. If I hadn't made mistakes, I wouldn't be qualified to stand here tonight. Do you know what, do you know what I mean? Like you, we, Nobody gets anywhere through perfection. It's a fallacy. This is not Disneyland. This is real life. We all make mistakes. Don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be like, don't cut your potential short. Don't go, well, I, I, thought, I thought I might want to, but now I'm stuffed up. I can't. I can't. Never entertain can't. Instead, get on your knees and ask God to heal you and forgive you and move forward. So never give up on potential over time. And, um, and th- this is the last one, and it kind of goes in, it goes really nicely together. All these things really go together. But don't lose heart when it comes to the realization of your potential or of somebody else's. The last one is bearing one another. Paul really encouraged the, the church, the early church, to bear with one another in love. Um, this is a photo of Emma, our daughter, learning to drive. You know, and, and bearing with one another, yes, hello to all the L platers out there. God bless you. Um, <laughs> but bearing with is, is, is a lending of your strength. Bearing with one another, bear, bear with one another's burdens. Um, Paul wrote to the Galatian church. He said, bear one another's burdens, lift one another up. And a, and a really easy way to think of that is how can you lend your strength? How can you lend your strength? You know, you can't learn to drive. Here she's about to come out and play keys for me. Isn't that sweet? You can't learn to drive without a supervisor these days. They won't let you. You know, so it's impossible for a young person to learn to drive without somebody lending their strength, lending their experience and lending their perspective. Um, At USC, they've found that learner drivers have, not Emma, of course, she's a great learner driver, but, um, you know, that learner drivers have, they've watched, they've observed their observation skills, and learner drivers have this, um, their observation skills go like this. It's like teaching a kid how to ride a bike. You're constantly going, look ahead, look ahead, because if you look at the handlebars, you're going to fall off, you know. And what they've found is that mature drivers have a more circumspect view. They're looking around themselves all the time. And that is exactly what, the, what one generation should do for another. 
They should lend their strength. They should lend their perspective. And even though I've talked about some really hard issues tonight and I've brought up some probably some uncomfortable topics, it's because my heart is to lend perspective if you haven't yet got it. Uh, because not, not everybody, not, you know, sometimes it's hard to find that. And the best perspective that we can have is the perspective of Jesus. And if anybody knows what it is to lend their strengths, it's, it's him. To give up his deity and to come into our mess and our humanity and to give of himself to the point of death and a shameful one at that, a death dying naked on a cross, a crucifixion. Lend your strength for the sake of somebody else. Lend your strength for the sake of the next generation. You know what maturity is? Maturity is being committed to the call in others around you as well as just yourself. When I was doing my master's many years ago, um, my research project kind of was a bit of a mess, to be honest. I, I had an absent supervisor and eventually he left the university and my co-supervisor came along and took up the principal supervision of my project and he put it back together. And he was the guy who said to me, Alison, you girls, you're so hard on yourselves. And he would encourage me. I'm like, no, you know, you've got this. And then he'd say to me, say to me things, because you never know. When you're a research student, you, ne- you don't have classmates and so you don't know how well you're going. And he constantly encouraged me. He goes, see, you didn't, fa- you didn't fail that. You, you did fine. And then he went on to supervise my doctoral research as well later. And he opened up opportunities for me. He, would, he gave me opportunities to speak, to meet people, to present. And he would even turn up when I was, would, you know, would drive to Brisbane to present my research to, you know, my heart in my mouth, to be honest, you know, like totally outside my comfort zone. He'd drive down and watch me present because he believed he could see potential in me that I couldn't see. I didn't have the perspective, and yet he lent his strength for me. And that is my heart for us, that we would be a community and a people that would lend their strength for the sake of somebody else when they can't even see it yet, that we would not give up. See, we can't control the world. We can't control all the outcomes. Even though we want stuff, we can't always know what it's going to look like. But we can control how we serve, and how we lend. We can control how we walk because how we walk every day matters. And it's a bit of a package, isn't it, really? Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, lifting one another up, lending our strength. It's a package and it requires, it's almost superhuman. It requires more than I've got, that's for sure. It requires a whole heap of courage and that's, that's it. That's, the, that's it. That's the whole point. We can't do this in our own strength. We actually need God to help us to be these kind of people, to walk in this kind of way. Because a Christian faith is not meant to be a faith that we somehow prove how superhuman and how righteous we are. That's not what it's about. A faith in Christ is about needing him and walking every day reliant upon him. We need him to help us with our walk. So let's pray. God, we thank you for, God, this blueprint of how to walk worthy of our potential. God, how to 
head in a direction, even though we can't control all the outcomes, we don't know what it's going to look like. God, we pray that you would give us the courage to be humble. God, you would give us the strength to be gentle. God, you would give us the stamina to be patient. My God, that we would lend our strength to one another, that we would bear one another up in love. As we're sitting here right now, there might be an area of your life where you're like, God, I need you there. (laughs) Because I'm at the end of my resources. I've tried it my way. But that relationship, it's too tense for me. I don't know what to do with it. Or that anxiety, I'm I'm, I'm really worried about that issue. I don't know how it's going to turn out. You might need God to come in to that area of your life. Why don't we right now in this moment of prayer and reflection, maybe just even under your breath, just say, Jesus, come into that area of my life. God, give me what it takes to be humble. Give me what it takes to be patient, to be gentle. God, for the sake of those around me, for the sake of the call of God and the potential in those around me, God, help me. Help me to do what I can't do on my own. Help me, God, to walk out into a bold new world, into uncharted territory. God, with the character traits of Christ, because you're inside of me, because I have your strength, I can rely on who you are. God, help us, we pray. Maybe you've never actually invited Jesus into your life at all. Or maybe it was a really long time ago that you prayed a prayer that you went, God, come into my life. Be part of, I want to start following you. I want to, I, I want to serve you. I, want, I give up. I need you. Why don't we in this moment right now, for those of you who need Jesus, to come into their lives and you, you're like, God, I want to give you my life. I want to start a journey of faith. I want to walk according to the call of God on my life rather than just walking in my own strength. Why don't you just pray a prayer under your breath? Say, Jesus, come in. Forgive me. Heal me. Help me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are truly blessed by what you heard. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au.